Welcome to What Are You Reading, a podcast dedicated to leadership development through a commitment to reading. This is your host, Jacqueline Parker. This week, we are so excited to talk with Brigadier General Maureen LaBeouf. Maureen has spent 28 years in the U.S. Army, where she held various staff and leadership positions, as well as flying QH-1 helicopters in the continental United States and Europe. Most noteworthy was her assignment as a professor and head of the Department of Physical Education from 1997 until her retirement in 2004. Her position carried the unique title Master of the Sword. She was the first woman to chair a department at the U.S. Military Academy since it was founded in 1802. Upon her retirement, Maureen was advanced to the rank of Brigadier General. Maureen served as the Executive Director of the Fegan Leadership Program at Duke Sports Medicine and currently serves as a chair of the USO of North Carolina. Welcome, Brigadier General LaBeouf. Thank you, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you, ma'am? I'm fine. So our first question is, what are you reading? So right now, um, I'm reading a book called Prisoner of Our Thoughts by Alex Patakos. Um, It's really a take on Viktor Frankl's book, um, Man's Search for Meeting. And he, he really takes the principles from that book um, and, and writes about each one of them. I'm probably about a third of the way through the book, um, but those principles are exercise the freedom to choose your attitude, um, realize your will to meaning, detect the meaning of one's life moments, don't work against yourself, look at yourself from a distance, shift your focus of attention, and the last one is extend beyond yourself but a couple, you know, during the initial part of the book that really resonate with me is um, exercise the freedom to choose your attitude. And there was a, a colleague of mine who would talk about having a positive military attitude when I was on active duty. And I, I mean, it's just a great way to look at things. We can, we can stand around and criticize what's going on in the in our team, um, within the organization, or you can look at things and, and I'm not talking about being Pollyanna-ish, but be more positive. Um, Some people say, I can't believe so-and-so did this. And it's like, well, step back. Maybe that person is having a really bad day and we don't take the time. You know, Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand. So do you take the time to find out what's really going on with that person. And so I really like um, the part about attitude. And at the end, whenever, when I was stationed at West Point with the cadets, the last thing I always used to say to them when I would be speaking to them is have a great army day. And so I think that's another way of, um, you know, it's just make it a great day. And cause you can choose to have a great attitude um, the other one that really struck me is detect the meaning of one's life, life's moments, which um, is interesting because I actually give a keynote, then the title of the keynote is Moments That Matter. And so I have in my life done some of that work where I've looked at moments that have happened to me. And, and really, I think it's, it's sense making out of those moments and what did I learn from those moments. And some of them go by very, very quickly. And you really have to think back 
um, to these moments. And sometimes it's something that somebody says to you that will really push you to action. Um, or you may see something and it, it really, it's something that'll make you act. And so anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. That's amazing. I remember at West Point, it was required reading for us to read uh, Man Search for Meeting before we went to summer training. So that was always one of our highest recommendations and always as an, as an infantry officer as well. It sounds like you really digest what you read and apply it well to your life. Oh, I try. So I think in a, in a lot of things we do, um, you know, you can watch a movie. And, you know, my husband taught leadership at West Point. He's retired from the Army. He also spent 13 years on the faculty at Duke in their business school. And my husband is a leadership um, educator. And so when he taught at West Point, he actually ran the core leadership course that you probably took, PL 300. And they would use movies as a way to teach leadership. And our daughter would say to my husband, you have ruined movies for me because every time I go to a movie, I'm trying to learn, I look for the leadership lessons in the movie. And so I think no matter what you read, you can take things away and certainly apply it to your life. Um, so I, instead of it just being this mindless exercise, you can even, you know, when you read fiction, there are things you can learn. Um, so I really t do try to take things and apply them. Not sure I've always done that, Jacqueline. So um, I think it's impressive that you're doing this and, and hopefully some junior folks are listening to these podcasts because there are things that I wish I had done earlier in my life and in my career. And reading, I'll be honest, reading is one of those things that um, I was, I gave a, a keynote, an online keynote recently, which was different. And one of the questions was, what would you tell your younger self? And I said, read more. And so I think I just love that you're doing this because it is a, it is a great lesson for young people to, if they're not reading, to begin reading. And in terms of reading for yourself, do you find yourself spanning across genres or different topics that are addressing the current climate? Or is there a specific way that you find yourself reading? So um, as I mentioned, my husband is always recommending books that I should read. Um, I did go through, I think I tend to find something that I like and then you'll, um, so I've been reading a lot about the Holocaust. And um, there's a book I read probably within the last six months or so called The Lilac, Lilac Girls. And when I read those books, Jacqueline, I just, I can't help but wonder, would I have been that resilient? Would I have been able to, to live and, and survive? And um, so it's, it, it's just, it's hard to not read those books and, and wonder about self and what you would do in that moment or those moments and the fact that they did it for years is, is just mind boggling to me. So, so I've, um, 
So, so sometimes I'll pick something up and, um, you know, several years ago, I read the book, The Secret Life of Bees. And so then I became very interested in bees and beekeeping. And, and so that's what I, I like about reading. It can pique your interest in something that you had no idea that you might want to learn more about. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great segue into my next question. How has reading made you a better thinker and overall a better person? So I think um, that's a great question. I, I think it's taking what you read and looking at it and saying, can I apply this? And, um, you know, it's you can read something and say, am I as kind you know, depending on what you read, am I in, am I in, in reading some of these books I read about the Holocaust? Am, am I patient? Am I an understanding person? Am I kind? I mean, there are people in the concentration camps who had nothing and they would take the food they had, which was nothing, and give it to somebody else. I mean, that's, um, would I do that? So I think it, it does make you reflect on the way in which you live and hopefully the way I live and hopefully it, it's made me a better person. And I understand that you held the position master of the sword at West Point, but I don't know if our audience necessarily understands what that means. So could you articulate what that position is and what your experience was like? Yes, thanks. Um, so the Master of the Sword, first of all, it's, um, it is a historic title that goes with the position of the director and head of the Department of Physical Education at the United States Military Academy at West Point. I always like to say it is the coolest title in the United States Army and probably the world. Um, but it's the, actually the first, um, West Point had the first full-time physical educator in higher education, and he was a sword master. And so that is where the term comes from. Um, and up until 1947, the cadets all did take swordsmanship, um, and, and um, they also took horseback riding until the, 1947. So they did learn, um, how to fight with the sword. So um, it, it is the title that comes with the position. Um, I'm, I'm honored to have held that position. I'm the first woman to have been a department head at West Point. And when I was selected, West Point had been around for 195 years. So I like to say that change comes quickly at West Point. Little, That's amazing. Little tongue in cheek, yes. I can't imagine what it would be like as a cadet to do swordsmanship and horseback riding. That would be amazing. Yes, so I'm sure it was. Um, going more into your role as an officer, what sort of leadership challenges have you faced and any that you would like to share? Oh, you can imagine over a 28 year career, I had a lot of leadership challenges. Um, but I do think of one when I was the head of the Department of Physical Education at West Point. Uh, there was a course at the time that all of the cadets had to take. And the course, the title of the course was gymnastics. And I would go in and watch gymnastics. I did not teach gymnastics. I, when I taught, I taught, I um, taught plebe swimming. 
Um, but I would go and watch the other courses that were taught. And the thing about gymnastics that struck me is there were certain lessons where we would put all the men on one side of the gymnasium and all the women on the other side of the gymnasium, and they would do more gender specific gymnastics activities. And it bothered me quite honestly that we were separating the cadets because I said, we do not do this in the army. We don't have pink parachutes. We don't have um, blue parachutes. We have green parachutes. And so I, I was concerned with the message that we were potentially sending to the cadets. The course had been around forever and I thought we needed to change the course. And so um, I got a committee together, gave them my commander's intent, what I wanted them to look at. And they came back to me um, after about six or seven months and their recommendation was to not make any changes. And so that was interesting and disappointing to me. And so what I did is I waited. I thought I have the time and because I knew I was going to be around and they weren't ready for the change. And so um, what I did is a couple years later, I was watching the course and I'm standing next to a young um, PhD, highly respected civilian faculty member who taught gymnastics. And he said to me, if this course doesn't change, I can't continue to teach it. And in that moment, I knew I had my guy that could help me make the change. And so, um, so what I did is stood up a committee, gave my commander's intent again um, in writing. And the other thing I did the second time around is I had um, IPRs. Um, I, had, I had them come in and give me progress reports, um, kind of updates in between so that at the end they didn't say to me again, we're not, um, we're not changing anything. And so as a result, they changed the course. And, wow. But you think there's a book called um, Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. And this was a classic case of somebody moving the cheese. And so one of the, you know, this, a very senior um, faculty member, a civilian who taught the course for probably 30 years, he said, it was good enough for Eisenhower, it's good enough for these cadets. And I thought, we're getting ready to go into the 21st century. It's not good enough for our cadets. We need to, to teach our cadets to move differently. Um, we've got a different battlefield and we needed to, to change and the course changed. So it went from gymnastics and they changed the title of the course to military movement. And I think it's a, it's more functional movement. I think it's much, much better for the cadets. Wow. That's a, wow. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I was a former cadet and just to hear your story and how that's evolved since then, I, I would never fathom that that is how things changed. Yes, it took time, but I had to be patient and I knew that I wasn't going away. And so it, it allowed me 
and I couldn't, you know, it's one of those things you have to have people, you have to have buy-in and I didn't teach gymnastics and they knew it. And so I just, I was patient and um, allowed the change to take place in a, in a way that I would have buy-in. Yeah, I think the change was more organic because you went within the organization and you found the the people that were going to support you on your decision. And then that's kind of how things unfolded. I think that's a really, that's a phenomenal approach that you took. So that's awesome. Thank you. Going more into books again, what you're reading. Um, are there any books off the top of your head that you would recommend for a junior officer getting ready for their first operational command? So um, there is a book um, in this more army centric Jacqueline, but it it's around the profession. And the title of the book is Be No Do, and it's Leadership the Army Way. And it was written um, by Francis Hesselbein and General Eric Shinseki. And General Shinseki was our chief of staff of the army. And Be No Do is the army's leadership model. B is your professional identity, no is your professional competence, and do is your professional example. And so I think um, I think it's a book that would be wonderful for um, young officers, any branch going into, because at the core, we are members of a profession because we take an oath. Um, and so, and so I think it's very, very important. And it talks about um, being a member of a profession. I think it's important to think and read about mm -hmm. that. And I understand you also wrote a book called Developing Your Philosophy of Living and Leading One Moment at a Time. Is there a vignette or lesson you'd like to share with us from that book? So I, there, there are a lot of moments from my life in here. And um, you know, I am the middle child of nine. And one of, and there's six girls, and I'm a middle girl, and I was born on my brother's first birthday. So as you can imagine, as the overlooked, underloved middle child, I have a lot of stories. Um, actually, I had a wonderful childhood. And um, but a, a quick story was um, about doing the right thing. Our oldest brother, at a certain age was allowed to watch the eight of us when mom and dad would go out for the evening. And we had a big backyard and mom and dad went out and we had certain rules. And one of the rules was no swinging of golf clubs in the backyard. And my oldest brother went into the garage. He got some golf balls and a golf club and he started hitting golf balls in the backyard. And then he hit one, he sliced it, it bounced, it went over the fence, bounced in the driveway and went right through a neighbor's window. And you can imagine, we were just like, oh my gosh. And my brother immediately put the golf ball down, he hopped over the fence and knocked on our neighbor's door and told them he did it. And so, and of course, then we, the waiting for mom and dad came home and I'm sure he was dreading mom and dad coming home. And so they came in. He also told them what he had done. It was, it was powerful for me to watch my brother do that. And because we just stood with our mouths open when it went through the window and he didn't, he just immediately went next door and told them, I'm sure they would have figured it out. <laughs> 
um, that it came from our backyard, but it was it was it was powerful for me as a little girl to see that, and then and then to also see him tell mom and dad, and then just kind of a, a funny story. A few weeks later, it was his birthday, and my dad he finished getting his gifts. My dad said, "You have one more gift," and my dad gave him a wrapped present. He opened it up, and it was a framed copy of the bill of the repaired window. And at the bottom, my dad had typed on a scrap of paper, dad was right again. And so that stayed in my brother's bedroom for a long time. He probably still has it somewhere. That is hilarious. That's that's an amazing story. I think it's like one personal vignette and it seems like minuscule, but it actually, it changed you, it must have. Mm -hmm. It was, it's all about, you know, it was a, a way of learning to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I think pivoting from that and then leadership challenges and um, experiences that you've learned from other people and what th things that you've gleaned. Um, can you tell me a bit about a failure that you experienced and how you learned through that failure and became better because of it? So it's it, it was a literal failure. So I was at flight school um, learning how to be a helicopter pilot and I busted my um, I busted a, my instrument check ride and had gone farther and far enough along that um, I busted it a second time. And what happened back then, Jacqueline is um, they said you can leave flight school or we'll turn you back to the class behind you. And so this is the spring. I started flight school in July, so this is early spring. I'd been with my class for months and months, and um, I decided I was going to leave flight school. And it wasn't, flight school was not what I expected. It was not a lot of fun. I was not one of those people that if I wasn't flying, I wasn't happy. And, um, and so, I decided I was going to leave. And so I called home and talked to my parents. And my dad had been in the Air Force Reserves. He'd been a, a bombardier and a, um, during World War II, he didn't go into combat but um, and a navigator. But so I told them I was going to leave flight school. And that night, in fact, I had started out processing. And that night, one of my brothers called me. And he said, I heard you're leaving flight school. And I said, yes. And he said, I just have one thing to say to you. And I said, what's that? He said, Keenan's don't quit. Keenan is my maiden name. And I'll tell you, when he said that to me, I felt like I got punched in the gut. And so the next day I went and I said, I'm not going to leave flight school. Uh, you can turn me back to the class behind me. And I finished and graduated from flight school. And so, so that was a literal failure that I had. Um, and I wanted to quit. And I think really what it did for me, I was a first lieutenant in flight school. Being in the Army um, was not always easy. And there certainly were probably other times I wanted to leave or quit something. And when you 
have gone through something that's challenging and you say, okay, I, I dealt with that. When you're faced with a similar kind of situation, you say, I can do this. And so I think I was able to draw on that. And then the echo of my brother saying, Kenan's don't quit always kind of resonated in my head. It's, it seems like you, and I might be wrong, but um, when you told me about your experience where the first time around the committee said, we're not making any changes, and then you waited and you were patient, it seems like you kind of took that lesson was like, well, I'm not going to quit on this. Right. I think that's so important for our junior officers because especially those going to their first operational command, like they're going to experience moments where they're going to want to quit. And I think if they're listening right now, what you just said is so important. Um, when you were at that moment, I think I, I wanted to ask you this before, but when you were master of the sword, you were the first female to do that. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't been that many years that females had been at West Point. Were there moments, you know, when you wanted to quit then? And how did you, what made you persevere through that? Well, every, I honestly think everything before leading up to being selected as the Master of the Sword prepared me for that. Um, there, I'll be honest, um, and we haven't talked at all about um, a lot about being a woman, a woman in the army. There were, there were times my husband would say, this is happening because you're a woman. And I would say, I cannot go there. That's not helpful. I can't go there. And so um, I just, you know, being the master of the sword, um, what was interesting is the, the West Point newspaper a reporter came to interview me. And she said to me, I talked to a, a woman cadet and the woman cadet said, they will run you off in a year. And I, that really bothered me that a woman cadet did not think I would be successful as the master of the sword. And so um, I was the master of the sword for seven years. And certainly there were ups and downs, um, I would say more ups, but it had it had really nothing to do with being the first woman to chair a department at West Point. There were, it, it really, it was really kind of organizational kinds of things that any leader has to deal with. Um, I do know I was being watched. Um, I was being watched. And a few years ago, I, I ran into a gentleman and who was a senior um, officer at West Point after I left. And he said, you know, they're still talking about you. And I said, ooh, he goes, no, it's good. He said, it's all good. So, um, but it was, um, and then the thing that was interesting is I was no longer invisible when I became the master of the sword. People that I did not know knew who I was. And I'll be honest, um, initially it was a little bit unnerving for me. And I was on an airplane and this was before a, a gentleman said, can I sit next to the master of the sword? And I thought, I have no idea who you are. But it, and, and I, we were, Jackie and I, my daughter's name is Jacqueline, we call her Jackie. And she was in high school and she and I went to St. Thomas for her spring break. And I had a Department of Physical Education shirt on. It was, I think I was no longer the master of the sword. And somebody came up to me and said, 
aren't you the master of the sword? And so I was in St. Thomas. <laughs> I was like, I said, well, I was. That's awesome. I think my one of my last questions here is going to be, uh, again, about what you're, you're reading, and we're going to tie this back in at the ending. Um, are there any specific books that have made a lasting impact on you as a person and as a leader throughout your career and afterwards? So there is, and um, one of the things I'm not, I was not a big reader growing up. Um, and although my dad was a college English professor and he would read to us, um, when I was in second grade, dad read us A Tale of Two Cities. So um, we, were, we were read to um, at an early age. And, um, but there's a book, historic fiction that I love is Killer Angels. It, and I think one of the reasons I like it is because there's a character in it. One of the main characters is Joshua Chamberlain. And he was a soldier and a scholar. And um, there is a wonderful part of the book where um, there's soldiers who said their contract was up. They're from Maine and they were going to leave. And so technically um, they would be categorized as deserters. And the, the officer that brings them to Joshua Chamberlain, who's the commander, he said, you can shoot him. And so in, in Joshua Chamberlain is from Maine. And the first thing he does is he talks to one of their, they had somebody who kind of was speaking for them so the first thing he did is he talked to that individual and he found out what was going on. And so he talked and he listened. And then he went and talked to these men and, and he told them, you know, we're going to have a big fight tomorrow. And the fight was Little Round Top. And he fed them, he told them he needed them. And, um, that they would be given their weapons back if they would fight with them. And so that is just a powerful lesson around listening and leading and taking care of your people. Um, so that's, that is a wonderful book. It's people who don't like history love killer angels. Um, and then there's, there is a movie called Gettysburg, which is an epic movie that's four hours long that is around, um, this book. Um, the other thing I would tell young folks going into the military or just starting their careers or actually anybody in the military, you must read your doctrine. They've got to read their doctrine. The army's got a wonderful, um, they've got wonderful doctrine on army leadership in the profession. It's ADP 6-22. And there are a lot of people in the profession who do not read the doctrine. And, and it's just, it's full of good information. You know, every chief, I know the Army and the Air Force, um, they have reading lists for, their, for the military, for their service members. So, um, so, you, so, I mean, those are the kinds of things that they can also look at. And I'd encourage, um, like, the folks in the army to look at what the Navy and the Air Force is reading because we, you know, we're joint and to understand their language and, and how they, um, how they think about what they do and what's, what does their chief 
think is important for them to be reading. So um, I, I just will tell you a quick story. Our, our son is a West Point graduate. He served for 10 years um, and he was an he's an unbelievable reader and he started reading a lot as a little boy. Um, and when he was a company commander at Fort Carson, he had all of his soldiers read the book, um, Black Hawk Down, because he has a mentor who was involved in that operation. And he lived in Colorado and he came to Jay's unit and did a professional development session with his soldiers around Black Hawk Down. And so that's a way you can incorporate reading into your units um, and, you know, and not just be, you got to read this book and we're going to talk about it. You could, you know, read Black Hawk Down and show the movie, have a movie session and, and, and then talk about it. So there are different things you can do. Um, and the last thing I just want to mention, um, I am a grandmother. I just became a grandmother. Um, not even two weeks ago. Congratulations. It's our first grandchild and she's already being read too. So you've got, I know there's some young folks out there with children, young children, um, read to them. And they are, it's never too early to read to them. Um, Jay was, as I said, an unbelievable reader and for those of you who are familiar with Tom Clancy and his books, Jay was reading those in first grade. So I'd always check with my husband, can he read this book? And he'd say yes. So <laughs> that's the one thing when Jay was a cadet, I said, what do you miss? And he said, reading for pleasure, because you have so much reading that you just have to do for class. So that was the thing he missed the most, reading for pleasure. That's awesome. I think that's such a great way to wrap up our episode. Thank you so much for being with us today and for chatting with us about what you're reading. Thanks, Jacqueline. And you take care. And remember, have a great Army day. Thanks for listening to this episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast produced through partnership with DOD Reads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share it. Leave us a comment with your answer to the question, what are you reading? Also, visit dodreads.com for free books, book reviews, interviews with your favorite authors, and many more free professional development resources. See you next week.